Tonight, the government wants you to think that mandatory vaccines is a great thing, but is this really just another form of apartheid? It's Tuesday, September 7th, 2021, and this is the Ezra Levent Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government Yesterday, I ventured down to Steeltown to take in the Hamilton Tiger Cats versus the Toronto Argonauts football game. It was a perfect day for football for both players and spectators alike. Warm and sunny, a slight breeze, not a raindrop anywhere to be seen. But then, much to my chagrin, I soon found out that I was persona non grata at Tim Hortons Field, and it had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I was decked out in Argo double blue. You see, while this game is billed as the Labor Day classic, there was something very new and not so improved about this match. And at Tim Hortons Field these days, well, they don't take a liking to my kind. Indeed, this was a very different, very disturbing kind of football game when it came to the fans, given that a two-tier class system is now officially in place in Tigertown, which is to say if you were double vaccinated or had proof of a recent negative COVID-19 test, you were welcomed into the stadium with open arms. But if you were unvaxxed and you didn't have proof of a negative COVID test, well, <laughs> you were punted to the sidelines. But the question arises, why? The mandatory vax passport doesn't come into effect in Ontario until September 22nd. The end result of yet another spectacular flip-flop by Premier Doug Ford. How odd, after all, just weeks ago, Ford said he was dead set against a mandatory vaccine passport, that he didn't want two tiers of Ontario citizens. And then, voila, there was Premier Ford back in the legislature stating that, say folks, a vaccine passport would be the best thing since sliced cherry cheesecake. By the way, who got to Dougie? this time? Big banks, big pro sports clubs, big pharma, or maybe it was his little imaginary friend, that 11-year-old boy wonder known only as Arthur. Who knows? But the end result was a 180 backflip that would make an Olympic gymnast green with envy. But back to the Ticats, why did this organization feel that it was necessary to advance the deadline for vaccination? Was this virtue signaling of the corporate kind? Was this about the football team scoring brownie points from the COVID Karens out there? Or is Ticats owner Bob Young really, really that terrified of the Wuhan virus? Incredibly, despite the double jab rule, face masks were still required as was social distancing. Well, that's not entirely true, folks. You see, there was tons of social distancing up in the cheap seats, whereas social distancing was almost completely AWOL in the expensive seats, given that season ticket holders were jammed in like sardines. Gee, I guess the virus hates cheapskates, but it respects the deep-pocketed? Yeah, that's the ticket. Not that I was allowed to buy a ticket, 
ticket, mind you. And so it was that stadium capacity was also capped to 15,000 fans for a venue that seats 26,000. And yet, just a couple of days earlier, the Wolverines had 109,000 fans pack the big house in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Tell me again, how is science dictating the COVID decisions, at least by way of attendance? Because I haven't figured things out. By the way, I caught up with one banished Tiger Cats fan who ended up taking in the football game on a TV at a nearby sports pub. He remains a fan of the team, even though it appears he'll never be able to see another CFL game live again, unless, of course, he gets double jabbed. Check it out. Well, folks, I'm with Steve. He's at the Touchdown Pub, just a walking distance away from uh, Tim Hortons Field. And Steve is obviously a Tiger Cats fan. Absolutely. But you couldn't Tiger. go to the game oh today, God. could you? No, they wouldn't let me. And the reason? Because uh, I'm not vexed. What do you think of that policy, sir? Because it's not law in Ontario yet. It's not. It's against every charter of rights. Well, you know, you raise a good challenge. Are you thinking of a legal action, a human rights complaint? What good would it do? We got a dictator for a prime minister. What, what, what do we have for a premier? A premier's uh, bought, and sold, bought and paid for. Yeah, because just weeks ago, he said he didn't want a two-tier system for citizenship in Ontario. And then last week said, guess what? The Vax passport's coming in. And, but even more egregious, I think, the de that doesn't begin till September 22nd. Why is it the Ticats organization uh, yes. say as of Labor Day, it kicks in? It's pressure pressure so is the vax pressure who's pressuring the hamilton tiger cats all the vax all the vaxers of course for the most part the mainstream media ignored the discrimination based on those who have taken the experimental vaccines and those who have declined alas and alack the old chestnut so often proclaimed by feminists, i.e. my body, my choice. Well, apparently that only applies to the termination of a baby's life these days. In fact, check out the column today by Steve Simmons of the Toronto Sun, one of the most woke sports writers in the biz. By way of example, he condemned the Boston goalie Tim Thomas in 2012 for not meeting with President Barack Obama when the Bruins won the Stanley Cup. But Simmons applauded Washington goalie Braden Holtby in 2019 for snubbing President Donald Trump when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup because, um, because, well, just because, okay? Anyway, Social Justice Simmons called yesterday's game in Hamilton a return to normalcy? What? Quote, the walk along Melrose Avenue more than an hour before kickoff felt the way Canadian football is supposed to be. The houses were almost all decorated in yellow and black. The banners were up and the parking spots were for sale on most driveways. This was Labor Day in Steeltown, 659 days after the previous professional football game was played at Tim Hortons Field. This felt right. It felt like football. It felt, for this afternoon anyhow, like the Canadian Football League was alive and well 
and making noise where it matters most, end quote. <laughs> By the way, the story is headlined, A Labor of CFL Love. No, seriously, folks. Yet not a word is mentioned about the vax policy. No ink was used to make mention of the fact that the stadium employees were not only asking people for their tickets, but they were also saying, your papers, please? The only thing missing was the German accent, of course. No, there was nothing normal about this football game because it was indicative of the so-called new normal, a society in which those who get the jabs keep their jobs, while those who make a personal decision not to get vaccinated are relegated to life's penalty box. And that's what's so horrible about these mandatory vaccine passports, the egregious coercion. Oh, sure, nobody is being forced into a gurney and getting jabbed against their will. But we have already come across numerous stories of people losing their careers over refusing to get the needle. Being denied entry to a football game, well, that's one thing, but it's quite another when one ends up on social assistance in order to put bread on the table. The end result of saying no to an experimental vaccine, that's beyond shameful, folks. That's downright despicable. But the question arises whether or not one is vaxxed or not. Is this truly the have-have-not society that we want? You know, the other day, Lady Menzoid and I were talking at the dinner table about this emerging two-tier society. You see, my wife, Lauren, has seen this movie before, and it's a bomb. She was born in South Africa, and her family emigrated to Canada in 1976. Make no mistake, they enjoyed a very comfortable life in Johannesburg. And there is so much to love about living in South Africa. Yet her family could not live with the moral bankruptcy that was apartheid. They found they could no longer stomach a society in which it was official government policy to proclaim that Caucasians were privileged and that all other races were inferior. So it was they moved to Toronto to begin life anew. How odd for her then that in 2021, a new form of apartheid is taking root in our great dominion, apartheid based on vaccination status as opposed to race. Gee, so tell me again, Stevie Simmons, that what you saw in Hamilton yesterday was a so-called labor of love.
just myself and one other nurse that have not been vaccinated there. So you know the pressure is on. But you know what? I feel so strong. I feel so encouraged because I know my truth. And when you stand in truth, you don't have to fear because where there is truth, there is liberty. I'm sick and tired of the lies. I would never put my son in harm's way, but I love my son and I want him to live in a Canada that I grew up in, that I believe in, that is dying. We're going down a terrible path. I mean, people need to wake up, but I think it's happening right now. You look over Hell yeah. I personally moved from Syria, a dictatorship country with very little freedom to come here. I come here to only have my freedoms here taken away from me. You know, I became a Canadian citizen just last year. I don't understand any of this. We were understaffed. We didn't have the supplies that we needed to take care of the residents in the way that they deserved. I am traumatized by my experience and actually quit after the outbreak was declared over. I thought I was alone and today I know I am not alone. Thank you for doing Rebel News. We love you. Well, that was the scene in Vancouver on September 1st when healthcare workers and their allies took to the streets to bemoan the mandatory vaccine passports. In the aftermath, I'm sure some of these people will face repercussions such as suspensions or even dismissals. And although the mainstream media will surely write them off as a bunch of cranks or conspiracy nuts, the question arises, whatever happened to the feminist mantra of my body, my choice. Apparently, it is okay to chant that chestnut when it comes to the abortion of a baby, but not when it comes to getting an injection of an experimental vaccine. Funny that. And with more on this story, I'm joined now by Drea Humphrey. Welcome to the Ezra Levant Show, Drea. Hi, Ezra. I mean, David. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you got it. Hey, listen, Drea, lots of emotion on display there, but I'm curious, what would you say is the most common motivation for those who do not want to get vaccinated? I think it's just like being forced to do something you're not ready to do. I mean, that's just wrong on so many levels. It's coercion. And there are certain types of people, the more you do it, the more they're going to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and find out uh, that the government isn't exactly being transparent about everything involved in these injections, which I think pushes them away further. No, they're not being transparent. And also, I'm getting a little tired of the flip-flops. I think Ontario might be the greatest flip-flop province in our great dominion right now. Uh, just weeks ago, you had Doug Ford uh, saying that he was against mandatory vaccinations. He didn't want a two-tier citizenship in Ontario. And then suddenly, um, we have mandatory vaccinations coming as of September 22nd. What do you think is making politicians, Drea, who were not on board with this, suddenly changing their minds in the first place? Well, I'll just add that uh, BC's public health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, did the exact same flip-flop. She said that uh, vaccine passports caused inequities and there was no way, literally she said no way, 
they would be doing that. And here we are, and Prime Minister Trudeau has also done that. But uh, you're right. It seems like they all get the same script around the same time and maybe have to figure out how they're going to uh, make their lines sound convincing to the rest of them. I don't know why that's happening, and it just becomes completely illogical. I'm hearing that, um, you know, in BC, you may be able to go in, you won't be able to go into restaurants, but fast food ones will be okay. (laughs) It's it's just, you know, it's, it's hard to keep up with the nonsense and the flip flops. And, and you know, Dre, I think it's very unfair of the critics of those who don't want to get vaccinated to write them off, you know, as a bunch of knuckle draggers. They don't know what they're talking about at that protest you were at. And I, I have to say, on the very same day here in Toronto, I was at a similar protest. We saw nurses. Um, these are trained healthcare professionals. They know a thing or two about vaccines and viruses. Um, when they are putting their job on the line, when they are putting their career on the line, i.e., they put years of their life into education to be a registered nurse, and uh, they face a blacklist. I, I'm certain uh, if they don't get the the vaccine, um, why is there so little attention being paid to what these healthcare professionals have to say? Well, I think mainstream media obviously plays a big part in that, as do politicians. Vancouver's mayor, in response to the protests in Vancouver, came out and called the frontline health workers and the protesters. He referred to them as jerks and idiots um, and, you know, went off and said they were blocking hospital entrances and things like that, which was not the case. But the narrative that you saw in the mainstream media kind of pulled out from this Canada-wide protests, whatever, um, you know, thing that happened that wasn't, uh, you know, good, they would pull that out and kind of put it in as though it happened in Vancouver as well. And people just kind of ran with that narrative. But they did not, uh, many of them, almost all the articles I said did not mention that this was organized by healthcare workers and that uh, speeches were given by healthcare workers. And so that misleads the public. And that's, I think, why people believe that. And another thing that wasn't mentioned is that this protest was advertised advertised for and attended by both vaccinated and unvaccinated Canadians. That's why the numbers were so big, because it's not just people who haven't opted into getting these COVID-19 injections that is completely against these segregation passports. Yeah, no, I think you're uh, right on the money there, Dre. And and that's the thing too, how these people are labeled in the media as being anti-vaxxers. I find they are vaccine choice people. Uh, If you wanna Mm -hmm. get vaccinated, if you wanna do what you will with your body, uh, fine. But for for them, uh, they're saying, uh, I have questions, I don't trust it, and I'm not getting vaccinated. Why not give me the same respect I give you? And by the way, another important sidebar to this story, especially since it involves healthcare workers who face termination, Drea, has anyone in the mainstream media questioned what's gonna happen to our healthcare system in the weeks and months ahead? And by that, I mean, it's already strained at the best of time. We have a pandemic and perhaps dozens, hundreds, who knows what the number is, Drea, of healthcare professionals are gonna be terminated because they won't get the double jab. Can you imagine what that's gonna do in terms of the pressure on the healthcare system? 
Well, you know, I know that I certainly have uh, asked that question. I asked it to Prime Minister Trudeau when he was in Vancouver as well. Of course, he ignored the question. But BC has made it very clear before these mandates are to arrive that we are experiencing a health care shortage. So I have no clue how we're going to go through that. Canada talks about burnout rates uh, with health care professionals as well. And uh, one of the, uh, I forget her position, she used to work with long-term care home and she's still a healthcare worker right now. But she said that the union informed her that they're prepared, uh, I guess in her field, to fire up to 43% of their staff over this mandate. And interestingly enough, I noticed uh, a couple days later, it was pointed out to me that that union has since gone on strike. So I'm waiting to hear back more details about that. But I think the whole, uh, we're going to overwhelm healthcare uh, that we've been controlled under for the last 18 months may actually become a reality thanks to these bureaucrats and political health lords. Wow, that's an amazing figure, 43%. And, you know, that's the, another interesting sidebar issue on this um, topic, Drea, is the fact that when you look at unions who typically go to bat for their membership, no, not this time around. It, it, they're simpatico with management. They are pro-mandatory vaccination. I mean, there are some exemptions, the Toronto Police Association, the Toronto Amalgamated Transit Workers Union. Uh, those are two that come to mind, but pretty much all the ones I've come across, they're gung-ho, uh, get vaxxed or um, see you later, brother or sister, you're not welcome here. What's motivating them to be so pro-vaccine, Drea? You know, that's a good question. I think the ones that are speaking to it are putting on that front, but I, I would find it hard to believe that everybody is just on board with this. I think, uh, like you mentioned, police, uh, firefighters, I mean, based on all of the sort of off-record emails I get, and I'm sure you you are getting as well, there's many who are just not speaking out yet, uh, but are completely against this in high powers. I'm also hearing that uh, people in management positions in hospitals and stuff are also resigning or taking stress leave. Um, so I think... We're going to hear more people step out or we might just feel the consequences of them not agreeing as they don't do their job anymore. Yeah, and, and you know, what really bothers me about the narrative these days, uh, Drea, is that the pro-vaccine camp, they're saying, well, no one's forcing you to get the vaccination. Forcing would be some goons grabbing you, strapping you to a chair, putting the injection into your arm uh, without your consent. But it's a different type of coercion, isn't it, my friend? Um, if it means that you don't have a job, you can't put foot on the table for your family, well, that's outrageous and egregious coercion to get the shot. Last word goes to you, my friend. Absolutely, coercion all the way. This is disgusting, despicable. I can't believe Canada's fallen this far. And I hope, uh, you know, with challenges like ours that we're doing, go to uh, fightvaccinepassports.com. I hope we can turn things around and actually make the laws that we've been vulnerable to change and strengthen Canada altogether. A hundred percent. Let's make my body, my choice great again. Hey, Drea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Drea, thank Baby's you so much. Too. <laughs> thank you so much for your excellent reporting right. as always. All right. Thanks for having me.
You got it. And that was Drea Humphrey in Vancouver. Keep it here, folks. More of the Ezra Levent Show to come right after this. Hi, it's Ezra Levant from Rebel News. I just got out of a three-hour hearing of the Federal Court of Canada. We were suing Justin Trudeau's hand-picked Elections Debate Commission. You see, the leaders' debates are this week in the Ottawa area, and 11 of our reporters had applied to be accredited. But every single one of them was rejected by Trudeau's hand-picked staff. And we say that's unconstitutional. That's a violation of freedom of the press. Well, Trudeau sent not one, not two, but seven lawyers to court today, arguing that it's totally justifiable to ban Rebel News, but accredit highly political partisan journalists like uh, Rosemary Barton of the CBC, famous for personally suing the Conservative Party, or even foreign state broadcasters like Vietnam's National News Agency. How do you accredit them, but not us? I don't know if the judge was buying it. I really liked the judge. Her name was Justice Margaret Henehan, and she was running this trial from Newfoundland via Zoom. The government lawyers were in Toronto and Ottawa. Our lawyer was in Calgary. It was a really a national affair, and hundreds of people were watching along with me. It's very exciting, and the judge said she's going to sleep on him. She's going to issue her ruling tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. Newfoundland time. That's 11 a.m. in Eastern time and 9 a.m. in Alberta. So it won't give us a lot of time if she grants us accreditation, if she issues an injunction commanding Trudeau to let us in. We'll have to really scramble to get to the debates on time. I hope she does. I thought our lawyer Chad Williamson did a great job. He was very persuasive. And he uh, didn't make Trudeau's lawyers' mistakes of talking too much. Oh, my God. The more they talked, the more they got themselves into trouble. I really think we had a stronger lawyer and a stronger case. And I hope that this judge stands up for freedom of the press against Trudeau's attempt to handpick the journalists who get to ask him questions. We'll find out tomorrow morning. In the meantime, can you do me a favor? Trudeau paid for his seven lawyers from taxpayers' money. We don't do that. We crowdfund our fees. Can you help me by going to letusreport.com? Chip in what you can, and I'll let you know the news, good or bad, tomorrow morning. That's letusreport.com. Thanks for your help.